It's all about doing good together. Mm -hmm. And what the platform allows you to do is demonstrate to your customers internally and externally the impact you're having on the environment and on people. Hi, and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast which is all about business and entrepreneurship. And it'll leave you with the ability to go ahead and do more within your own businesses. Today, you're going to meet Jim Holland, CEO and co-founder of Karma, an extraordinary business making an incredible difference, not just to people's lives, but also to our planet. We're going to shortly hear Jim's really incredible um, story in terms of his own personal career and how he uh, became to be leading a B Corp certified business in the UK, making such an amazing difference. So, hi, Jim. Uh, thanks ever so much for joining us today. Absolutely delighted that you can be here with us at UMI. Yeah, wonderful to be here, Nikki. Thanks for the invite. I had a great trip up this morning. You're, uh, I'm pleased to hear it. And I understand you've got a pork dinner waiting for you. Yes. I'm on a... return this evening. Absolutely. Dad's cooking twice cooked pork. So ah. once cooked pork is not enough. Right. Twice cooked is the important feature. Excellent. Well, listen, um, what we'd like to do is just hear a little bit more about what sounds an absolutely amazing journey to set up uh, Karma. Um, which I'm not going to steal your thunder. You can tell us a little bit more about in a moment. But first of all, will you tell us how you came from being in the Navy for 13 years to then setting up what is a company that's creating tremendous impact, not just environmentally, but to people's lives? Will you just talk us through what on earth, how that, how that happened? Absolutely, Nikki. So I've got a great story to tell you about, and it starts in Barnsley in South Yorkshire now. I don't know if you've ever been to Barnsley. I have indeed. Yeah, so I maintain to this day that the best decision I ever made was leaving Barnsley. <laughs> when, I, when I was 17 uh -huh. and joining the Royal Navy, I'd finished school. I'd got three rubbish GCSEs. I hadn't really applied myself at school. I was a little bit disenchanted by it all. It was the end of the miners' strike. There was mm -hmm. such a lack of opportunity. 75% male unemployment. Wow. I'd had the odd job in the bacon slicing factory. Mm -hmm. I've got jobs. Still got your fingers intact? I've still got my finger. I was Excellent. very good at it, actually. Very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, decided to leave. I, I got accepted for the Royal Navy and I jumped on a train down to Plymouth on the 2nd of October 1989 and, and wow. had a wonderful career. 13 years as a weapons engineering artificer. Uh, I left the Navy. I'd done a HND in electronic engineering. I got a degree in computing. Played an inordinate amount of sport, predominantly rugby union, but I excelled at rugby league because I didn't mm -hmm. have to pass the ball as much. <laughs> <coughs> it was a joy. You had to be a lot fitter to play rugby league. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Travelled the world. I was in the first Gulf War and everything was going great guns. And then I got injured playing rugby. Of all things. Of all crikey. things. Crikey. Yes, of all things to get, to get injured by playing rugby. And um, unfortunately, I couldn't go back to sea because I couldn't go back to sea. Wow. I couldn't get promoted. So there was no place for me in the Royal Navy. So sadly... Blimey, that the, must have been a heck of a point in life. It was a heck of a point because in the, in the forces, everything's mapped out. Yeah. And all of a sudden that came to quite a, an abrupt end. And, and one uh, which you were thriving in by the sounds of things previously. I loved it. Right. I loved it. it just being with like-minded people mm -hmm. every single day. And all of a sudden, that was it. It was over. Wow. So I sold my house on the south coast. I made the worst decision 
in my life and I moved back to Barnsley. <laughs> Poor old Barnsley. I'm sure it's not quite the picture you're painting. No, I, I mean, Barnsley's a lovely town and with lovely people, but the lack of opportunity. And, yeah. And I'd, I'd always been quite ambitious. Mm -hmm. And I went back to Barnsley. And what I hadn't realised, um, and on reflection, I've worked it out, is that when you leave the armed forces, you lose three things overnight. Your forces family, mm. your purpose and your identity. And if you don't Crikey. very quickly compensate for all those three things, you can start to slide downhill pretty quickly. Mm. And I always say that you're a product of your environment. And I'd gone back to Barnsley. My friends were great, um, but there was still a lack of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought I'd have the whole world at my feet. I've got all these qualifications, a breadth of people, personal experience and world experience. But I just couldn't, I couldn't find a job in a, in a big organisation, which I, I was missing the Navy. So that was that was an important piece of the transition, was it? Moving into a large organisation still? It was, yeah. Right. What, what I didn't realise at the time, I needed purpose. Right. And then I bought a town centre pub in Barnsley Town Centre. Wow. It was a big concern. <laughs> Four DJs, six doormen, 22 bar staff. Blimey. Yeah, year one was good. We, we made a profit. Turnover was massive, but the profit was small. Mm. Year two, um, it got took over by another brewery. I was a tenant put the rent up and my margins were more than squeezed and I lost a fortune and I had to sell the pub. Wow. And I still Tough could lesson. It was a toy. It, it would have been cheaper going to the London School of Economics <laughs> and paying London <laughs> <laughs> rent and rates for two years uh -huh. than, than that pub in Barnsley. But it, it really taught me some important lessons about value. And um, In what way? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I, after that, I used to walk into a pub and think, right, you've got four bar staff on. You've got 12 customers. Mm -hmm. They've got to be drinking four pints an hour to actually turn a profit right. here. Little things like that. And, and running a, a small business, a multifaceted business like, like a pub, it's not just a case of pulling pints. Mm -hmm. It's not just a case of getting the meals ready. You've got to do the marketing. You've got to do the finances. You've got to make sure the stock's up to speed. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it got really bad, Bouncy Town Centre. My right. cousin jokingly said, he said, what you need is a sign outside that says customers required apply within because <laughs> <laughs> the town centre just went dead the footfall right. was atrocious yeah and town centre dynamics change over the years yeah so there was a certain route that everyone used to drink on right okay all of a sudden that changed and, and we were missing all the footfall so yeah year two was really tough but we made the right decision liquidated mm -hmm. the business preserved my own personal integrity mm -hmm. as a company director did the right thing and got out there and, and settled my debts with my creditors, which was a great thing to do. Yeah, and, you know, um, credit to you because it is tough to wind a business up, isn't it? And to do it in the responsible way, actually, is Absolutely. is even tougher. So uh, I'm sure there's some lessons in, in that process that you can share with people. But let's let's stick with the journey for now. Where next? So where next? I struggled. Again, there was still no jobs. I, I was odd job in a friend of mine owned a construction company said look i need a hand roofing right so i was doing a couple of roofing jobs with him i got all these qualifications there i was humping tiles up ladders and i was in the back of these guys car one day and one of my old shipmates rang me up he was a boss of mine a guy called steve mccann mm -hmm. he said how are you getting on dutchy which was my naval nickname i said i'll be honest with you steve i'm struggling mm -hmm. he said really he said yeah i'm really struggling i can't get meaningful employment I'm not paying my mortgage, my mental health's not really good, I'm drinking too much. He said, crikey, he said, you were the best qualified out of all of us, I thought you'd be flying. I said, well, I'm really struggling. Mm. He said, what time are you due home? I said, about three o'clock. He said, 
I'll ring you back at three o'clock. So the guys, we got home three o'clock that, that afternoon and the phone rang, it was Steve again. He said, look, I've just spoke to my boss. He said, he's looking for a Unix engineer. Mm-hmm. Send me a CV, do a little bit of research and I'll get him to give you a call. So I jumped on my computer, sent him a CV, gets on Google. Ten minutes later, the phone rings. Number I didn't recognise. Hello? Mm-hmm. It's Mike O'Connor from Vodafone. Steve McCann's just sent me a CV. Looks brilliant, Jamie said. I'm looking for a Unix engineer. What do you know about Unix? Mm-hmm. Said, hand on that, Mike. I've just Googled it. There's 48 commands. <laughs> There's 48 commands. How hard can it be? Uh-huh. And he started laughing. He went, I wasn't expecting that, Jim. Yeah. It's a brilliant answer. Can you come for an interview? Well, this was Tuesday. Thursday, I'm down in Newbury. Wow. I had this wonderful interview with this guy and he said, look, all right, you haven't got Unix experience, but you've got a wealth of experience. You, you've got character. I think you'd fit well in the team. So he offered me a job three weeks later, September 2006, I rocked up at Vodafone. And Nikki, that was my resettlement. Massive company. Right. Gave you that kind yeah. of structure, family, yeah. son. Right. Got it. Clear yeah. mission, clear yeah. vision, clear yeah. values. And I loved it. It was like yeah. working on a university campus. There's 5,000 people all working together, just you know, doing the best they could for the customers, growing the business. And a couple of people complained. I'm like, wow, you don't know how lucky you are mm-hmm. to work in an mm-hmm. environment like, like this. It was wonderful. Played, Started playing touch rugby again. And right. Yeah, we did the corporate games. It was just a great place to work. And I loved it. I, I thrived. And um, <clears throat> one of the, uh, I got asked by one of the managers in another team, to come and work in his team as a promotion. And I remember having the conversation with Mike. I said, look, I've just been offered a, mm-hmm. a better job in another team. He mm-hmm. said, look, Jim, this was always going to be a stepping stone for you wow. into the rest of Vodafone. And I, I shook his hand. I said, look, that's brilliant. Thanks, Mike. And I still knew nothing about Unix <laughs> 18 months later. <laughs> but I'd got stuff done, Nikki. You know, yeah, I, yeah, and and sure. I, I went above and beyond that role and I, I networked with the wider teams and it was all about asking the right people the right questions at the right time in the right way. As mm-hmm. opposed, to, everyone used to send emails. I'm like, go and speak to them. Yeah, the it's interesting, isn't it, that today even people forget how important it is. You know, post COVID and so on and so forth, where we were also remote from one another, and um, there does seem to be a resurgence of people starting to understand how important that human connection is again. Yeah, so absolutely. interesting that right back in Vodafone times, that was a key feature of what was what what I suppose contributed to your success. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it makes a difference if you've got that extra mile. I mean, coming up here to Durham today, it's great to come here mm-hmm. and meet you and do this in person as opposed to be behind a camera sure. and a screen. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so now then, tell me again, the, the nickname was Dutchie. I'm just going to interrupt the journey for a moment because I'm intrigued to understand where does Dutchie come from? Well, my second name's Holland, Jim Holland, so ah, Dutchie Holland. Okay, got it. Should have should have clocked that, absolutely. E- everyone. Yeah. Clark, Nobby Clark. Yeah. It's just automatic. Yeah, you got get it. A, you get a nickname. And um, yeah, I kept it throughout my naval career. So Vodafone. Yeah, so you spent quite a lot of time at Vodafone, didn't you? I spent eight years there. It was my yeah. resettlement. And right. it, funny, I, I didn't realise um, at the time when, when I joined Vodafone, I was, I was going to flourish. I, I, I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting in the back of a transit van, going to roofing jobs every day, mm-hmm. wasn't particularly floating my boat. And then flourished at Vodafone, met my wife, Sally, there. We're now happily married. Wow. 
four daughters later. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're a delight. We wanted one boy, we got four girls. I was just about to say, that sounds like quite an achievement in itself. Absolutely, yes, <laughs> yes. But the white flag came up after, after attempt number four, but wonderful. I wouldn't change it for the world. I've got two dogs, Vic and Bob. So I've always wanted to knock uh -huh. around with Vic and Bob. Uh -huh. and, and, and there we go. I had six different jobs at Vodafone, loved it, never thought I'd leave. I mean, I owe that company so much. And um, I got headhunted for a, a job at Sky. Um, a friend of mine had gone to work there mm -hmm. and he said, Lad, it's a great job here, I've mentioned you and, and they'd like to speak to you. Mm -hmm. And I went, didn't really want to leave, but the, it, it was quite, a, it was a chunky role, head mm -hmm. of quality and compliance. And wow, yeah, I couldn't it say is it indeed. Yeah, I couldn't say it at the time without smiling because uh -huh. there's two things I want, <laughs> two words I want to associate with myself. <laughs> One of them's quality and the other's compliance, but... Yeah, it's different though when you're making up the rules, isn't it, I find? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> if they're your rules, it's easier to follow. <laughs> correct, correct. And at Vodafone, the role I was doing, it, was, I was sort of looking after all the fulfilment mm -hmm. for the consumer channel, so I really understood the role I was moving into. Mm. And I saw the value in the movement. It's funny, I, I got asked to go for an interview and I, I love Vodafone. I, th I thought, well, I'll go and have a look. So I turned up at this interview. I hadn't done any prep whatsoever. And this guy... There's a, there's a reoccurring theme here, Jim, to be fair, on the whole interview prep. There is, isn't there? I'm not sure that's the best advice to, <clears throat> uh, to convey to people. If you want the job, be ready. Mm -hmm. if, but if a chance drops in your lap, wing it, is what I would say. Fair enough. But, but I rocked up to, to Sky, Just I wanted to look around, I thought I might get to see a celebrity or uh -huh. whatever that, that looks like. And I sat with this guy for an interview for an hour and he just completely inspired me, the way he conducted himself, the questions he asked, feedback he gave me. And um, yeah, I'd done no prep whatsoever. And I drove down the M4 after and I was like, I messed up there a little bit. Right. He asked me all about Sky and their values mm -hmm. and customer base and I, I just hadn't done any prep. Mm -hmm. And the recruiter rang me up and said, how do you think that went, Jim? I said, I'll be honest with you, Lewis, I made a bit of a mistake there. I said, I didn't do any prep. It was really apparent in the, in the interview. I've let myself down. I said, but more importantly, I've let Keith down and I think I've wasted an hour of his time. And I'd like you to feed that back to him. He said, you're in luck, Jim. He said, uh, Keith thinks the same. He really enjoyed spending wow. an hour with you. However, he'd like you to come back next week having done a bit of prep. prep. <laughs> and, and, they, and they gave me an exercise wow. to do. And I'm just really thankful for Keith mm -hmm. for giving me that second chance. Absolute wonderful man. I really enjoyed working for him. And I rocked up there. It was it was my first six-figure job um, back in 2014. Mm -hmm. Sally was pregnant with daughter number three, Elsie, at the mm -hmm. time. And it meant that she could do the hardest job in the house and, and, and be a stay-at-home yeah, mum for, yeah. for, for the foreseeable future. So wow, I, so it became quite important at that point then. It, it became really important, yeah. And um, I'd probably say it was Keith's fault that we had four four girls. <laughs> Poor Keith. <laughs> <laughs> no, great guy, we're still in touch. And uh, I loved I loved Sky. I was head of coaching compliance for, for a year and then I moved into the head of sales role for retail. Loved it. That is a huge transition in terms of, you know, um, style, skills, etc. Moving from a, a role where you're a custodian of processes and quality and so on and so forth into that front-facing sales role. It's, it's so different. How on earth did you come to do that? Well, ultimately, it's a leadership role. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that working in the sales and marketing group, we had all the channels in the sales and marketing groups, so you've got online, you've got telesales, you've got retail, 
and I got to know all, all the directors and uh, just I, I sort of, you could work out the nuances right. and, and the role came up for, mm -hmm. for the head of sales in retail and, mm -hmm. and I, I, gra I grabbed it with both hands. I wanted a big leadership role on my C mm -hmm. CV. There was lots of people involved sure. and I thought I could make a difference just through being um, very colleague centric. I mm -hmm. can remember at Vodafone it was all about customer centricity. Yeah. I sort of thought but there's a little bit of a nuance here. If you focus on giving your colleagues the right amount of training, the right equipment and every opportunity to land the sale, you'll see the results and uh, it worked out really well. Interesting. And then certainly over the years, it, the uh, the need to have happy people in your team has been one of, has, has become really the key driver, hasn't it? Absolutely. Over and above skill set and so on and so forth. If people are happy, then they're going to do a good job. Absolutely. So you were... You clearly clocked that at quite an early stage. Yeah. So, got... what, so what next? So next, uh, one of my old bosses from Vodafone, actually, a great guy called Martin Jones, and um, we had a conversation with him. He'd moved to a completely different industry. He'd become the um, commercial director at Stansted Airport. And he rang me up and he said, oh, Jim, there's a great job here for you, Stansted Airport, head of commercial. He said, look, you've got everything on your CV. You've got operations, you've got leadership. This is a big numbers role. You'll mm -hmm. be looking after the P and L. You'll be looking after the margin. Essentially, your KPIs are every customer that comes through the airport. How much cash can you get out of their pockets? Mm -hmm. So car parking, taxis, fast track. It's a complicated lounges. business in airport, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and it's very different from Vodafone and Sky because you don't own the customer. You've mm -hmm. got no idea who's going to yeah. turn up. So you've got to cater for everyone, whether yeah. that's a, someone travelling on their own for business, mm -hmm. whether it's a couple on a romantic break, or whether it's a family of four, or six in my case, <laughs> <laughs> fleeing the country for a little bit of sun. Mm -hmm. And uh, re really good, really good lesson. And of course, it was 2017 at the time. The airport was on a trajectory to go from 25 million passengers to 33 yeah. million passengers. Um, I joined, I got stuck in, made a difference. Quite, quite like the environment, very, very different to what I was used to at Vodafone and Sky. Mm. A little bit of a harsher environment. Yeah. Because um, you didn't own the customer, you didn't know what to expect on a daily basis. Yeah. And you weren't getting the feedback. So, so, so it was that customer feedback at the other two companies that helped us sort of shape what we needed to do to get it right from. Yeah, because I guess it can be sort of quite transactional for people at the passing through an airport. You know, some people don't hang about. They just want to be in and <clears> out. And the slicker it is, the better, which doesn't, it doesn't chime with, you know, the attempts to retain customers and customer Absolutely. loyalty and so on of some of those other brands. Absolutely. And, and we'd, I'd come from a, a retention equals acquisition yeah. model in both brands. Uh -huh. to where You're just going to get people coming through. And you're trying to increase the dwell time. So the, the, the longer they stay in the airport, the more money they'll spend. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was quite an interesting, interesting dynamic, actually. Uh-huh. Interesting the, stuff and, and a huge transition to an airport. So what what uh, what comes next? What after Stansted? Well, what came next was COVID. So, right. So 2020, okay. 2020 it, we were moving 100,000 passengers a day and then almost overnight we went down to 12. Mm. Not 12,000, but 12 passengers. Yeah. And we got this one billion pound piece of infrastructure with three sheep and a shepherd in it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 there was literally nothing to do. And I was very quickly furloughed. Right. Um, and then made redundant in September, 2020. But for me, Nikki, furlough, I've got to say, was the best time of my life. Right. 
I'd been a little bit displaced from the family. I'd, I'd got a house up at the airport. Oh, okay. So you were living across yeah, there a lot of the time. Yeah, right. I was away three nights a week. We got got a young family, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, I'm at home mm-hmm. seven days a week with mm-hmm. people I loved. Um, we just got the first dog, Vic, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Out walking every single day, spending time with the kids. The weather was wonderful, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, we were spoiled. We were regard. spoiled. I was yeah. in the garden, and just I got. A, I'm a big reflector. Right. And I got a lot of time on my hands to think, right, what haven't I done? I've had such a wonderful and eclectic life, but what haven't I done that no, I don't regret it, but I wish I'd, I'd devoted more time to it if I got the time. And then tragically, um, we lost a, a, a Royal Navy Rugby League teammate to suicide 13 oh, years gosh. ago. Sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah, it was awful. A guy, Really close friend of mine. We we did a four year apprenticeship together. We did field gun together. We played rugby together. Oh, blimey! And he was two months into his transition, and we got the shocking news. And didn't speak to any of my former teammates, but I went to the funeral. Mm-hmm. It's in Wigan, and lots of us had turned up. Mm-hmm. And it was a very well turned out funeral. Heartbreaking. I never stopped for the wake. I wish I had, uh, but didn't do anything above and beyond that. And I realised that, that that was gnawing away at me. So I got in touch with a couple of my old teammates, a guy called Neil Gay and a guy called Andy Steele. And um, they said, look, we've been thinking about forming a, a charitable association, um, all, all to do with rugby league. And I went, right, right. so I said, let's get stuck in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a few other people, brought them along to the party, and we formed an association called In Touch, right. Royal Navy Rugby League. And In Touch is built on three pillars. Mm-hmm. Reset. Reconnect, relive. Right. The reset is all about helping people on that transition, identifying that they're going to be leaving the armed forces, mm-hmm. they played rugby league, and just making sure they land on their own two feet in Civvy Street. Reconnect, just reaching out, talking mm-hmm. to your old teammates, mm-hmm. and relive. Get, we get together once or twice a year, have a few beers mm-hmm. and a meal, and remember how good or bad we were 25, <laughs> 26 years ago. And... <clears throat> And on that, it's been a wonderful thing to, to be involved wow. in. It's opened up so many doors that we all thought were close to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it, it's connected us to the current Royal Navy Rugby League team as well. They, they come to our dinner, they have a, their award ceremony. And, really? Yeah, wow. It's just brilliant to, to sort of feel you're a part of that community. So how many servicemen, women, ex-current are involved in the charity? Um, we've probably got about 50-odd members, but the uh-huh. dinner, we have 120 people coming wow. to it. We had, you're not going to believe this, we had a surprise guest at the last dinner. Uh-huh. N- none other than Bobby Davril. No way. Yeah, Bobby, I introduced him. <laughs> I, I said, look, I stood up and it, uh, it was only me and the guy who'd organised it in the entire room that knew he uh-huh. was coming in. And I said, look, I can't believe I'm saying this guy. He's come the MC. Uh-huh. But we, we've got... <laughs> anyway, Bobby Davro came in. The whole place went up in the uh-huh. air. Absolutely brilliant. And it's we, we've helped four people out already. We've raised a lot of money. It's just wonderful to be part of that association. And um, Yeah. That's incredible. Long may it continue. But mm. <clears throat> I guess the reason I'm telling you that is because the person I've reconnected with on that process is uh, Andy Steele. Dr. Andrew Steele is right. he is now. Yeah. And Andy, um, he was a captain of the rugby league team that I played in. And when he left the Navy 18 years ago, he moved out to Bangkok. Right. And he started the Plant a Tree Today Foundation. And he's planted three and a half million trees in 11 different countries. Wow. And um, I'm talking to That's, him. It's, it's so difficult to kind of 
visualise that, isn't it? It's such an enormous number. Huge number. I planted a thousand trees yesterday in Hull, in the pouring rain with Clearwater International. Wonderful day, but a thousand trees, but uh -huh. three and a half million trees. It's just, it's just huge. You know? I mean, the, the guy is an inspiration. And I'm talking to him on this Zoom call. He's got, right. he's got blurred background. Uh -huh. like everyone was doing it. Yeah, yeah. During uh, COVID. And I'm like, so are you still in Bangkok? He said, no, I've, I've moved. He said, I moved um, back from Bangkok to Hull. Mm -hmm. And I started laughing. I went, no one moved from Bangkok to Hull. <laughs> so they only invented Ultimate Barnsley, looked like Las Vegas. <laughs> and so I had to come home sometime. I'm from home. My mum's in all. I went, right, get it. Uh -huh. So what are you doing? So I'm still planting trees. He said, I've formed a company that sits underneath the Green Task Force. Sorry, they plant a tree to their foundation called the Green Task Force. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, and uh, what the Green Task Force is made up of veterans and service leavers. I'm like, all right, interesting. He said, Jim, you won't know this. So, but 10% of people leaving the armed forces struggle to get employment. And he said, and out of the 90% that do, within two years, a further 15% need a hand up, not right. a hand out. Wow. And I said, uh, that's interesting. Why, why do you think I wouldn't know that? And it, he said, well, you've done all right, Lofty. Yeah, so he'd made I, that assumption that because where you were today or yeah, then, yeah. yeah. I, said, I said, well, I, I might have done all right. I said, mm -hmm. but four years, mm -hmm. I was in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. He said, really? I said, yeah, it's really struggle. I said, mm -hmm. yeah, I could have gone one way or the other for me. He said... We are going to love this. He said, what the Green Task Force does, we provide positive pathways for veterans and service leavers through nature-based tasks. We plant trees, we clear woodlands, we do fencing, we do litter picking, anything that gets the boys and girls out and repurposes them and gets them talking. And mm -hmm. said, some of, some of the guys have got PTSD and we treat them through nature-based therapy. Wow. Everyone as a bare minimum gets a vocational qualification in horticulture then we work with recruitment companies to get them back on the employment ladder. And I, I'm sat there and I went, mate, I said, that is brilliant. Mm -hmm. I said, that ticks every box for me. I said, how can I help? Mm -hmm. And he laughed and he said, well, you can't plant trees, Lofty. I, I was there when you got injured. <laughs> <laughs> you know why he calls me Lofty, don't uh, you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, well, I wasn't thinking about planting trees, Andy. So how can I help you as a business? You know, yeah. I've got a vast amount of experience. In corporates, how mm -hmm. can I help you? He said, well, it's, it's simple, really, Jim. The more trees we get, the more veterans mm -hmm. we can help out. Mm -hmm. I'm like, right, I'm going to go away and form a business that gets you thousands of trees. And he laughed. I'm like, go on, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went away and I did a little bit of research, you know, thinking, oh, vet, you're veterans, you've got, you got that social impact, you're having mm -hmm. environment, impact that you can make. Just did a little bit, and it, it, it was a no-brainer. There was definitely a gap in the market. Yeah. Because when you when you plant a tree, three wonderful things happen. One, you employ someone to do it, so you've got that social impact, mm -hmm. giving them a sense of well-being, mm -hmm. purpose. You know, whether that's in Hull or Kenya, mm -hmm. that still happens. Secondly, you get net biodiversity gain, mm -hmm. and finally, over time, empirically, that tree absorbs carbon dioxide and breathes out oxygen. Some companies would argue, and, and but that's mm -hmm. that's what happens. So I, I came up with the, the the idea of we started off. We were called Rewards Earth. We're right. now we're now Karma Karma yeah. with a C, short for Carbon Karma. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and we're, and we're a digital platform that connects. 
consumers and businesses to reforestation and afforestation projects all right. all around the world. Yeah. And and <clears throat> our product offering is threefold. We can come and have a corporate tree planting day with us and veterans. It's fully hosted. Put a thousand trees in. Make real impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sign up to one of our plans, whether that's a personal plan or a business plan, and we'll plant trees on your behalf every month. So you've mm-hmm. got instant impact in terms of social and environmental. Then we've got a product called Tree Commerce. And Tree Commerce, you, it, you can plant a tree for every product mm-hmm. or service you provide your clients to give back to people and planet. Nice. Our trees, you know, your overseas trees, 25p. So it's, it's low-cost, high-impact. And... It's all about doing good together. Mm-hmm. And what the platform allows you to do is demonstrate to your customers internally and externally the impact you're having on the environment and on people. Wow. So tell us, let's just dive a little bit more into Karma then. Because uh, in terms of uh, how it works, so you're, you literally set off with this ambition to find as many trees as possible or to secure as many trees as possible. I'm sure you're not just going in, you know, <clears throat> finding them randomly so that you could create more opportunities for, for, for service people, like service people. Yes. So you've invented this digital platform that creates that interaction and connection. But what's the commercial model behind it? How, you know, how does it, how does it work? Because I assume that you have to make money. I assume you, you pay people yourself, etc. How does that work? Because it sounds absolutely phenomenal but one of the things that i often get asked by people is well often kind of uh social enterprise or doing good means you make less profit and it's quite difficult and so on and so forth so how how's your business model working well we are a social enterprise we're also a b corp right and the principles behind b corp are people Mm -hmm. planet yeah profit so we do make a profit We're, we're effectively if you Peel it right back to what it is. We're a digital aggregator of trees. Right. My friend calls me the bat. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've ever heard that struck as a sentence, but yeah. Well, and my friend, he says, you are the, the Barnsley Lorax. You speak for the trees. And we make a margin. Mm-hmm. So, so the Green Task Force sell me a tree yeah. at a price, and we, we sell them on. But, but we've got that reach. We've got the brand. Interesting. We've got the platform. And, and the same we plant overseas our challenge we always get challenged well how do we know the trees have been planted and mm-hmm. i'm like well that's easy i can i can walk you to every single tree mm-hmm. that we've planted in the uk because i've been there when we've planted them with the green task force overseas a little bit trickier however we just partnered with a company called very tree which is again shortened for verified trees so every right. tree they plant overseas in kenya um the charity they work with, they give them smartphones. They mm-hmm. give them smartphones for two reasons, two smart reasons. <laughs> First of all, to pay them in digital mm-hmm. currency so they know that the right people are getting the wages. Oh, okay, so it gives them that traceability. And... Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And of course, because they've got a smartphone, you can track what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So they've got an app on there, so when they're out tree planting, you've got this digital footprint exactly where they've been. They're taking pictures, videos, so you've got real rich content, wow. and it's all blockchain. So every single tree's got its own blockchain identity, so it can't be double sold. Crikey. Yeah, so it's, it's got really technical, and, uh-huh. and that's what we're all about. We're, we're building this business with integrity and credibility so that we can scale it. So what, um, we'll talk about kind of uh, the ambitions for the business and, and uh, what next, but 
just want to understand a little more about what what's been hard you know what what's been or, or has it not has it just been an absolute breeze it's not been a breeze i mean running a startup is anything other than linear <laughs> you can, you, the the emotions you feel on any given day it's just from abject horror to complete delight um what's been hard the tech the tech catching up with so we, the company is co-founded between me and a guy called Ian Gurney. Right. Ian, he's, he's pinky in the brain. He's a brain. He does all <laughs> the tech. This is his fifth startup. He's done very well, understands that environment. And um, I always sell more than what's ready. Right. But I know the tech's always playing Going to catch up. Yeah. And I said, look, if there's a market for it, we should build it. Mm-hmm. And then, we, we, look, works really well. And the tech's been difficult. But it's been built out right. Mm-hmm. We had an MVP, which is now moving away onto the next platform. Mm-hmm. We're building out other products and services. We've got a Shopify app so the customers can plug in. And every time they sell a product, you sell a tree for 25p. And we've seen that increase business and increase conversion. Mm-hmm. So the, the tech's been a challenge. Um, we got investment at Christmas right. last year, which which was interesting. We were, we were wondering how to level up. And yeah. um, we went out and we sold it. And how did you, can I just ask a couple of questions about that? Yeah. Uh, again, because this is a, um, something that people touch on quite a lot, that investment, external investment, depending <clears throat> on what kind it is, doesn't necessarily align itself well to businesses with um, a social purpose or that view of the triple kind of bottom line as people describe it. Yeah. So how did you find securing investment? Uh, embarrassingly easy. Wow. Yeah, so we, we... And why was that? What did you do? Share a little bit with listeners about how you approached that. I was part of a, a community mm-hmm. uh, called Startup to Stand Up. Right, yeah. So I'd, I'd listened to all the nuances. I'd got my business ready. I'd got SEIS approval and okay. EIS approval through HMRC. So I'm, And I'd learned through the Startup to Stand Up group by a fantastic man, uh, Sam Simpson. Every time he speaks, Sam, I listen because he mm-hmm. talks nothing but sense and mm-hmm. from, a, from a position of knowledge. And he, listening to him, I sort of worked out the nuances of, of fundraising and angel investment. And Ian had done it before, and we brought a deck together. We've got this great template. And we, we, we then, I'm part of a Heropreneurs Network, so I got invited to go to Goldman Sachs down mm-hmm. in London mm-hmm. and, and in a real psychologically safe environment, mm-hmm. but pitching with this deck. And, of course, you've got some really fine minds in Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Ex-military who are in senior positions. And Ian and I stood there in front of this this 50-foot screen that we presented on. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And they're, they're sat there and critiqued us. And we mm-hmm. went back in and said, right, are you a B-cop? No. Why not? Wow. So they actually asked you then. It was brilliant. And, and, and Ian, Ian had been on my case. I mean, this was only... A year and a half ago, and uh-huh. said, we should be a B-Cop, we should be a B-Cop. Came out of that room and went, yeah, all right, Ian. <coughs> we're gonna, we, you were sold. Yeah, we, 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 need, we need that rubber stamp. So so we got a pitch deck, we got some great feedback. We knew we were, we were uniquely placed in the marketplace. We looked at our competitors, what they were doing, what we were doing, the difference between our strengths, what we could build on with the investment. Mm-hmm. And we started pitching and we... we we sat down and we we wanted four investors. We were raising two hundred and fifty grand. We spoke to one. He just sold his law firm, mm-hmm. um, so he was a recovering lawyer, as I called <laughs> him. And uh, he's a tree hugger. 
he loved what we're doing. He said, look, I was thinking about buying some land to plant some trees to make an impact myself. He said, but what, wow. if I can help you guys, I'm mm -hmm. just, the, the impact I'm going to have is just going to be vast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, we got the investment. He just said, right, look, I know you, I know you want four, four people around the table. He said, but it's not enough for me. Two mm -hmm. and a half percent. He said, I'm going to give you the money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I won't be an headache. And then um, Sam said, because Sam runs a platform called Founder Catalyst, which is, is it's like Seed Legals, but better for me. It's okay. Because it, 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 you get to speak to the people who... who yeah, it's not quite as yeah, yeah. impersonal. Correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it was brilliant. And he just said, look, that, that's the fastest race I've ever known. So we were like, shook hands on the deal. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm driving back from Chester because they all live in Chester. And, and I was like... Yes, get next morning I woke up like, well, this has just got real. Mm -hmm. we, we've now got that plan we've just presented to the investor. We've got 200 grams worth of his money and we've got to go and do it. So uh, we embarked on this next journey. The, the, the next part of the journey was employing people. Wow. And um, so in terms of uh, where the business is uh, today, um, you secured B Corp when? How long ago was it you actually got your certification through? Two months. Two months ago. We got a score of 128 with a high score in B Corp. Crikey, that is a good <clears> score. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the average business would score 50 to, to get the B Corp mm. certificate. 80, I think it is, isn't it? 80 to pass. That's but, right. But if you were to do an average of all the businesses in the country, it would be 50. Oh, right. Okay. But, but you need an 80 to get a pass yeah. match. So that's what everyone attends. We, we bent the needle, got 128 because of all the land and wildlife conservation we do we have to send them videos of me planting trees out, mm. out mm. in Hull <coughs> excuse me and um, yeah we're really proud of the score really proud of the score like I said we're the highest score in mm -hmm. court in our sector in, in the UK um, and um, yeah it's just been a whirlwind since since March and, and why did um, why did Goldman Sachs ask you if you were a B Corp because again some people uh, perception is that <clears throat> B Corp is, is like just another certification, you know, it ticks a box to keep either um, people that you're selling to, large corporates possibly happy that, you know, you've, you've got a box ticked and you've got a certificate that sits in a frame. Why, why did Goldman Sachs ask you if you're a B Corp? They were asking us the, 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 the age old credibility question. How are right. you going to prove that to people that you're planting the trees, you're doing what it's So they were looking the for that, that and, actual proof. Yeah, and... and he said, why aren't you a B Corp? He said, because B Corp, it demonstrates that you've demonstrated the highest levels of governance in your, in your business and that you're all about people and planet, mm -hmm. environmental and social impact. That's fantastic. So it was a no-brainer for us. So so we went and we, God, it was hard to do. Yeah. It was really hard to do. And yeah. Getting all that evidence together. It was a big investment for the company. Mm -hmm. Is it paying off? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, I would say so. Good. And um, of course, you mentioned there that you did really, you've got a cracking score. You know, you've come out the starting blocks running, which feels like it's a bit of a feature of your life. There's a bit of competition there. <laughs> but um, you, B Corp has uh, many more categories than just the environment, uh, doesn't it? It's, it's got five substantial categories altogether. So um, what about the other categories? Have you got to areas that you need to develop now as a consequence of being a B Corp? Will, will some get greater attention? How's that going to work? So, yeah, so... Or can it, you just rely on planting more trees? 
can't ever just repeat. You should never rest on your laurels. So, so where can you get better? So, so our people score was really good. So we've only got a small team. We actually got marked down for, um, despite having everyone gets a bonus mm -hmm. in the business mm -hmm. because we were a young business and everyone had just started. We hadn't. We couldn't demonstrate that we paid a bonus. I'm like, well. They've not been with us a year yet. We, right. We, we haven't had a chance. To, so we lost points for that. Um, not certain what the other sections were, but we, we were scoring high in the more. I think the highest scoring B-Cop right. in the UK is 160. Yeah. But this is we're on a journey. This yeah. was It was a good starter for 10. But the areas that we weak, we, we know we've got to build on it. And, and we're dedicated to getting it right. We, you know, it's all about... Yeah, you can tell that in spades, yeah. to pardon the pun. Uh, so <laughs> you mentioned there you were, you're looking to recruit more people uh, and expand the business. Was Is that right? Well, post-investment, we, okay. kn we knew we had to recruit. And right. we, um, we took quite a, a gutsy punt on our recruitment policy. We, we recruited three apprentices wow. mm -hmm. and three um, candidates at middle management level. Mm -hmm. So that we, And... We want we wanted to grow more than just trees. We wanted to grow people. Okay. And and we looked into apprenticeships, and it looked like a great talent pool. Um, people get fixated by graduates, mm -hmm. um, and we had graduate programs at Sky, at Vodafone, mm -hmm. at Stansted Airport Group. Some great people coming through, but just going back, neither Ian nor I went to university mm -hmm. and we thought, right, let, let's let's give people who are coming out of school that, or maybe people who have had a false start, a second opportunity. <clears throat> and one of the people that works with us now, uh, Natasha, she got a, a degree in photography, mm -hmm. really super bright individual. Mm -hmm. She was wonderful. She was working behind the bar at Weatherspoons. Right. In Huddersfield. Not using that skill. <clears throat> and no, and she was identified by this apprenticeship company interviewed with us and just blew us away mm -hmm. passion to, to succeed and that was nine months ago looking at her now she's a completely different person her confidence levels are through the roof her output her work ethic her commitment is just second to none she's, she's an absolute joy i mean a real triumph um for us as a business mm -hmm. but for her as an individual what a great what a great move and how are you um transitioning from that sort of large corporate big family, lots of structure into such a dynamic, fast pace and, you know, at the moment, smaller business. How are you making that transition? Because you told us at the beginning that that structure and so on and the, and, the, and the size was really important to you from a point of view of coming out of the Navy and making that transition. Is it because you've done that now or...? I've done it. I, I, I know myself <clears throat> a lot better now than what I did 20 years ago. Um, I know what my strengths are, I know what my weaknesses are, I know what I want in life. I right. love, and, and you know, this is, what I'm building now is a legacy. I love giving back. I love helping people. I love having a clear purpose. My purpose, our North Star is social and environmental impact. So getting out of bed to make a difference, working with the entire leadership team of Clearwater International, one mm -hmm. of the largest investment capital mm -hmm. companies in the UK, the energy that they mm -hmm. bring and, and, just hosting the day with people like that. So my network is ever expanding and I just get so much from it. And, you know, we're, we're doing good. We're, we're helping. There were six, six veterans out planting with us yesterday that, that wouldn't have had that work if we hadn't have turned up and did what we did. Absolutely phenomenal. So what next? You know, if you look to the horizon, what's on the cards for Karma? So Karma, we, <coughs> we want Karma to become a household name and right. we've got a real... 
high level of ambition with it within the company. We're going to move into the voluntary carbon market, but tree planting is going to be the core of our business. Mm -hmm. But but invariably people say, well, we want to offset. And I'm like, well, we're not an offsetting company. Mm -hmm. Well, we want the certificate. So we, we're, we're going to trade in, in carbon credits as well. Right. But we've come up with our little twist on that, which is called the Karma Credit. Right. So you can plant a tree in the UK and plant a veteran or service lever mm -hmm. and get a, a digital certificate for one ton of CO2 for mm -hmm. less than a tenner. Wow. So, so we're going to service all parts of the market. We're going to build the platform out. We're going to win a lot of customers over through the story. We've got um, a marketing campaign that's going to start this side of Christmas. We're going to raise again. So, Are you? You're yeah. going back out? Yeah, we're going, we're going for a Series A just to, to build. So you're going to move from the um, SEIS kind of angel investor schemes through into Series A? Yeah, yeah, we've we, we, we still got our, our EIS mm -hmm. certificates valid. Right. So so we're going to go and we're looking for a, a, to raise a couple of million pounds and, and really increase the marketing wow. budget. We're going to become a digital first platform. So impact from the palm of your hand, you can plant trees four buttons and you're there and join one of our plans as a business. It's a great call on, on the way here this morning. Mm -hmm. Some just like, look, really want to get involved. How easy is it? And they're signed up already and, mm -hmm. and making an impact. So that's what we want to do. We want to be an off the shelf ESG solution. Brilliant. Brilliant. So that's it's, uh, that's probably somebody calling you now wanting <laughs> <Yeah>. to, uh, <clears throat> wanting to plant a tree. So in terms of, um, what do you want to leave our listeners with today, Jim? I mean, how uh, the story itself is just incredibly inspiring. I mean, I don't know how you've crammed so much into so few years in terms of your own personal journey, your career, the impact that you've had on people, not just latterly in terms of where you have really picked up that purpose-driven mantle, but clearly you've touched an awful lot of lives in the earlier stages of your career as well. But... As, you know, for those people that have heard today and they've been inspired by that journey um, and they really want to understand more about karma and what you're doing and perhaps, you know, hopefully get, get involved, um, what, what do you want to say to them? Where do they need to go? Who do they contact? Yeah, well, to get involved, I always say get involved, just just come, come online, www.karma, karma with a C, okay. dot earth. And it's very self-explanatory. You go on there, you can sign up to one of our impact plans make a difference get our monthly newsletter see what we're doing with the green task force what we're doing out in kenya with our wonderful partner very tree and uh, yeah make a difference brilliant well listen thanks very much jim it's been an absolute joy uh, to spend a wee bit of time with you and i really look forward to seeing what huge differences i'm sure you're going to make in the world around us in the years to come thanks very much lovely thank you nikki <laughs>